Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody here today. It is an honor to be here today. I'm not Brother Chris. Uh, I encourage y'all to come back sometime when Brother Chris is here. Uh, I think y'all would agree. Brother Chris is a great preacher, sweet man. I mean, very applicable. So I hope you will come back. Normally, when Chris is out in this service, Dr. Andy is standing up here. And so I also feel like I'm not only setting in for Brother Chris, but for Dr. Andy. But uh, Dr. Andy is our pastor emeritus, and we just always, if we get in a situation as a young staff, we just go, what would Dr. Andy do? And uh, we just kind of, we feel like we can't go wrong from there. But it is an honor. Thank you, uh, Reggie, for, for filling in and choir for a great job this morning. Okay, I got a coat on. It's hot. I'm taking it off, okay? But I had it on. Okay, I already got the sleeves rolled up. Um, I'm sorry, I did have the shirt iron too, but that was a ways to go. This morning, I want to share with you uh, about a topic that God's not done. And no matter what your age, no matter young or old, God's not done. As a matter of fact, if you're young, you might think God's just begun in your life. But we're just saying how great thou art. And in light of how great thou art, we need to continue our entire lives until God takes us home to give our best to stay on the playing field for God. A couple of people I want to reference uh, that kept it going for a long time. When I was a kid um, at school in the third grade, the teacher read the Little House on the Prairie series to us. And uh, my wife read that series to each of our kids. Uh, launched my last one off to, to college this year. Kind of sad note. Uh, but I did find out in studying, Mary, she's here somewhere, Mary, uh, that the oldest lady to have twins was 67, so, you know. <laughs> anyway, I'm always up for another batch. Um, but Laura Ingalls Wilder, uh, when she began writing that series, she was 64 years of age. When she, she purchased, uh, started writing the first one, I believe uh, that first one was Little House in the Big Woods. Of course, there was a TV series on from 76, 74 to 82, I think, uh, about that. And then she did her last book, The Happy Golden Years, when she was 76 years of age and completed that in 1943. I know our own Dr. Posey has done some great writing, a couple of books, and he's just completed uh, one recently about uh, for new Christians. It's an outstanding uh, read. And I uh, hope we're going to start using that so in our new Christians class. So, uh, you know, he's kept it going. Another person, Peter Roger. You'll recognize him by his picture here. Uh, but Peter Roger, I'm looking forward to doing the portrait one day with the hand in the pocket here. But Peter Roger, uh, he taught at the London Royal Society, which was a, a scientific organization until at 70, they kind of said, you know, you're a little old, we got to make room for some younger guys. And so at 70, they pushed him out. But he always had a project on the back burner that he wanted to do. And he wanted to group words by classification. So we began on that in 1970, completed it in 1973. And with that, we had the first edition of Roger's Thesaurus, and he saw, oversaw the updating of that until he was in his 90s. President Reagan, 16 days short of his 70th birthday when he became president of the United States of America. Nelson Mandela was 76 when he became president uh, in South Africa. Grandma Moses, you may have heard about. Anna Marie Robertson Moses. 
John F. Kennedy, Nelson Rockefeller, when she was 101 years of age, both considered her to be the premier artist of her time. She didn't do her first painting until she was 76 years of age. And we could go on and on. Churchill uh, didn't begin his second term until he was 77. Michelangelo was appointed the chief uh, architect of St. Peter's at 71. Uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, a great architect, also completed the Guggenheim Museum at 91 years of age. They didn't quit. And the challenge for us is every day of our lives, we're not going to quit till God takes us home. Whether you, there's a tendency in Baptist churches, sometimes a, a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, and because we teach the doctrine of perseverance of the saints, or no more is once saved, always saved, because we believe what Romans 8, 28, and you know, 38 and 39 say about nothing can separate us from the love of God and several other passages that talk about that permanence in that relationship with Christ. Sometimes there's a tendency we come to a relationship with Christ and go, I'm done. Okay, and I'll pick up things. You know, I got college right now. I got to focus on that. You know, then maybe you get married, start a family. Well, I'll kind of get focused after that point, after my career gets established, and then you get in middle life and things get busy. And then after that, well, kids are off in college, so I got to go to Atlanta and see this one. I got to go to New York and see this other one. And so going all over the place, and then you get to retirement age. And at retirement age, well, then I got to go see family. And apparently something's going to hit me at about 75 where I'm going to start wanting to go to Branson. I don't know what hadn't hit me yet. Um, <laughs> But, you know, we start doing that. Our hobbies and things start taking up a lot of time in our lives. And that becomes our focus. And the thing is, God has created us. He has placed us in the body of Christ for a reason. He has equipped you with talents and abilities. You are such a valuable, important part of the body of Christ. And God has a role for you to play as long as you have your cognitive ability till he takes you home to be with him. And I want you to be open to that. In the Bible, we see that God didn't, uh, he brought Moses back to lead the people out when Moses was 80. Okay, Joshua took over when he was 80 years of age. Daniel served through four kings. Abraham was called out of Haran to just go. When he was 75, became a papa at 100. Obviously, Sarah was at a good age when she uh, became an, uh, a mama. And today, we're going to look at Caleb. And Caleb took on an amazing adventure in his life when he was 85 years of age. So we're going to look, first of all, just at a few things in the life of Caleb. And in Numbers, so it's an easy one to find there, Genesis, Exodus, something, Numbers. Um, you, go, you go blank up here, you know, sometimes. Uh, but it's right there at the beginning. Uh, but in Numbers chapter 13, verse 6, it says, From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, son of Jephunneh. You can test me on that word. Uh, but they had been given the promise, that the, you know, the assurance, there's a land that's yours. And you're to take it. And it's yours, absolutely. And so, really not in an act of faith, really in an act of questioning, a, a representative from each of the 12 tribes was chosen to go and scout out the land. And Caleb was the one that was chosen from the tribe of Judah. And so he and these 12 spies went for 40 days and they scouted out the land and they found out the land was exactly 
as God said it was. I mean, it's just like, you know, man, there's these great crops and it's beautiful and everything that, that's in the land. But when they came back, when they also went out in the land, even though they, they went under the guise, we're going out in the faith to see what it's like, we're going out to find the battle plan, but they were actually just right there at the beginning, they're questioning God. God's told them what the land was like. They didn't have to go scout it out. God was going to be with them in battle and bring victory. They didn't have to go get a battle plan because when they finally went 40-something years later, what was the battle plan? March around the city seven times, blow some horns and shout? Who comes up with that battle plan? And so, but, but they go under that guise. God's going to give us a battle plan to go and, and take the city. But when they go back, they start acting not by faith, but by sight. And they go in and they say, man, these people are big. And the cities are huge, and they've got large walls around them, and their weapons are very sophisticated. These people are battle-tested. These were mean, horrible people. That's why God was bringing judgment on them. Because if you read about the history of the people that occupied this land, they were sexually immoral. They, pra they practiced child sacrifice. I mean, they were just an immoral, awful people, and God was going to bring about judgment upon them. But they go in, and they look, and they see the obstacles, and they start acting based on sight and not on faith. And in verse 1330 in Numbers chapter 13, it says, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Caleb was responding in faith and not by sight. If you skip over to chapter 14, beginning in verse 6, it says, Caleb, son of Nun, uh, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb also were among those who had explored the land, they tore their clothes in an act of grief, in an act of wailing, in an act of repentance. They tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite community, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Trust what God says, not what you see, not what you look in the mirror, not what you look at there. Trust in our God. But instead, the people grumbled. They wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb. And they got started, we can't do it. And so they decided not to go into the land. And verses Numbers 14, 24, you know, God's saying, fine. If that's the decision you want to make, you don't want to act on faith, you want to act on sight, don't go take the land. And you see, that's what God will do with us. God will lay things on your heart. And he says, you know what? It's time to let this go. It's time. You know, for you to move on, for you to become more like me, this has got to be put aside. It's got to be put on the shelf. Let it go. He says, to be more like me, you've got to start doing more of this. It's going to take sacrifice, dedication, commitment, but you've got to start adding this into your life. You're, I've called you to represent me. I have a great adventure beyond anything that you can imagine for your life, but you've got to start doing this. There's some areas in your life maybe you're doing good, and God says it's time to do great. And so but, but the people looked, and they grumbled, and it was hard, and it was difficult, and we can't do this, and I wish we were back where we came from, and, and it's not so bad right here. We'll stay here. And they started grumbling and they started complaining. And God said, fine, you want to go down that road? You can go down that road. 
And that's the thing about sin. That's the thing about rebellion against God. That's the thing about rejection. If we want to go that direction, God will let us go that direction. Romans chapter 1 says God will let us go way down that road to the point where I'm here, you're going down there, and if you go down there, you're not going to hear from me. But God will let us walk that direction. And in this direction, he said, you guys want to walk that way, walk that way. But he saw the heart of Joshua and Caleb, and he said in verse 24, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit, a spirit of faith, a spirit of trust, and follows me wholeheartedly, not just, well, I'll do this much, but not this much. I'll be a little committed. Well, I'll start later. I'll procrastinize. I'll minimalize. This isn't that bad. I can hang on to a little of it. He follows me wholeheartedly. I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Now, the tough thing for Caleb is Caleb's done the right thing. You know, Joshua's done the right thing. But because of other people's choices, they have to suffer alongside that. And for 40 years, they have to wait. But for 40 years, he claims the promise that God's going to protect him, that he's going to live that long, and that eventually he's going to get to go take that land. He claims that, but he's got to wait. And that happens sometimes. You know, sometimes God allows us to go through those periods where we've been faithful and we've honored God, but we have to go through difficult periods. Joseph is full of illustrations of that where he was faithful and he has to wait because of nothing that he's done and he's put in some difficult situations. Guys, sometimes because your decisions don't just impact you, your decision to rebel, your decision not to listen, your decision to compromise can impact those around you as it did here. Some, it impacted horribly around them. And when you're outside of the will of God, sometimes we listen to the wrong people and we take advice from the wrong people because a lot of times what God's calling us to do is not difficult and easy and sometimes people are saying, that's not the smart thing to do. That's not the wise thing to do. You need to do this because sometimes what God's going to tell you to do doesn't make a lot of sense. When he says, go here, when he says, go there, when he says, and people, what are you doing? What are you thinking? That doesn't make any sense. Go, stay where it's safe. Stay where it's comfortable. Stay where it's easy. And God says, no. And when you don't go and you stay where it seemingly seems safe and comfortable and easy, sometimes that's the most dangerous place you can be. And it doesn't just impact you. It impacts those around you as well. The good news is in Joshua, uh, for them, is if you go to Joshua chapter 14, and reading in verse 6, it says, Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kizanite, said, You know, the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. And this is Caleb talking. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. I brought him back a report according to my convictions, but my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, don't miss this, 85 years old. I am still as strong today because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. God protected him. This wasn't a different 85 than 85, okay? He's 85. 
but God has protected him. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go to battle as I am now. Give me this hill country that the Lord has promised me this day. You yourself heard that the Amakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said, at 85. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kezanite, ever since because he followed the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, wholeheartedly. And in 1514, it says, from Hebron, Caleb drove out the Anakites. He followed the Lord wholeheartedly at 85 years of age. This is what God's called me to do. I'm going to take it. I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to go do it. I'm going to give you three quick things today. i got a clock here, so don't worry. Um, I'll be done in plenty of time. But three quick things I'm going to give you real quick. If we're going to follow the Lord wholeheartedly, if we're going to make God an active, alive part of our lives till the day we go home, here's three things you've got to do real quick. Number one, you've got to listen. Now, this isn't rocket science, okay? Andy Stanley says the problem is not that we don't know enough Bible. The problem is we don't do enough with the Bible that we know. So this isn't rocket science here. But they're difficult things to do because Satan does everything in his power to keep us from doing them. The first thing we got to do is listen. When Jesus began his ministry, one of the first big sermons he preached, Sermon on the Mount, and the very first verse in this sermon that he says is, Blessed are the poor in spirit. He says, blessed are those that are humble and teachable and listen. Because everything else I got to say in this sermon, you're not going to hear if you don't, first of all, humbly listen. Everything else I'm going to do in my life and I teach, you're not going to hear unless you humbly listen to what I've got to say. So if you want to hear the adventure that God has for you, whether you're 20 or whether you're 85, you've got to listen to the still, small, quiet voice of God. What's he saying? What's he calling you to do? In Numbers 13, 2, don't miss this. When they went into the land, it says, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan. This is God speaking, you know, he says, Which I am giving to the Israelites. It's yours. I'm giving it to you. But they missed that. They didn't hear that. If you look at these references in Genesis 12, 7, 13, 15, 15, 7, every one of those references, God promised to give the Israelites that land. He said, it's yours. Those ten spies, they missed it. Caleb, he heard it. He heard him saying, this is yours. All you have to do in faith is take it. And then 14, 8 and 9, again, it says, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land. Are you listening to what God is trying to tell you about the adventure that he wants to take you on in this life? Now, sometimes it's not. We want to know, okay, show me the destination. Sometimes I got frustrated with this. I didn't become a Christian until I was 22. And I'm 22. I'm graduating from college. And I'm like, okay, God, I've wasted a lot of time. Tell me what's next. And, God, and I kept getting, well, you need to go into your room. You need to spend time in prayer. And you need to start reading my word. Okay, that's great, God, but I'm fixing to graduate here in a couple of months. You know, it's, is it graduate school? What is it I need to do, God? You know, I need a little advice. Go into your room, and you spend some time praying with me, and you spend some time reading Scripture. You've got to be willing to follow and listen one step at a time. 
Okay? It's simple stuff a lot of times. It's being kind to people. If you're not going to be kind to people, why should God let you know what's next? If you're not going to be faithful in prayer, why should, you're not going to be making your ears open to hear what he's got to say. One of the things that God gave me really quick at 22 when I did start listening was a long list of people that I had to go apologize to. Teachers that I'd sit in their class and took naps and things that I had to go back and make some things right with. And I'm like, God, I don't know that. Go back and do it. But he was building my character for what he had next. You've got to listen every day to what God's calling you to do. And it's little stuff. If you're faithful in little things, he shows you big things. But it's those little things. Going to class, being kind to those around you, listening, taking it in, studying, going to work, doing a great job, a, a great effort, being kind to your co-workers, being loving your family, faithfully getting on your knees and praying for your family and friends, whether you're 20 or 80 or 90. He has those people around you. He is entrusted to them at the judgment seat of Christ. What you're going to be held accountable for is your gifts and your talents and your abilities, but also your friend and your family. How did you set an example for them? Love them. Did you pray for them? So listen. Every day, and in time, just like he said, Abram, go this direction. And in time, he showed Abram where he was going to go and what he was going to do. But we've got to be faithful one day at a time to make time to listen and hear from God. Make time to hear from him, and then make time to make sure that you're clearly hearing. Here's the second thing. A lot of people hear what God wants them to do, but it's a whole other thing to have faith in what God is calling them to do. We've got to listen, and we've got to trust We've got to be willing to trust what it is that God is calling us to do. In Numbers 14, 8, he said, If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm not going to read them back again, but in Joshua 14, 10 through 12, he expresses that trust in God once again. And he talks about several times God refers to Caleb as the one that remained loyal, the remained loyal, remained loyal. You've got to trust in what God is telling you to do. The ten spies, they, they've heard it. They didn't listen. They didn't trust. Caleb and Joshua, they trusted. And I'm telling you, God's going to call you to do some things. Maybe family says, stay right around in this general area. Stay in North Louisiana, South Arkansas, East Texas. And God's saying, no, you go to Washington State. No, you go to Maine. No, you go to the southern tip of Florida. No, you go to Bolivia. No, you go to Europe somewhere. Wherever God's telling you to go, you need to have faith. If that's where he's calling you to go, go. There's something difficult. You know, maybe God, you say you're ready to go to graduate school, and God says, no, I want you to go serve two years on the mission field in the journeyman program after you graduate. And you're like, oh, I don't know about that. Maybe when you're 80 years old, God says, go up into the northeast, and I want you to volunteer and be a volunteer missionary because the missionaries we meet in Vermont are all retired people up there working. And God calls you to do that. It's really easy. To hear something from God, it's a whole other thing to act on it, especially when it means that we're going to have to change, we're going to have to pick something up, we're going to have to lay something aside, we're going to have to do something different. But it's important that we trust God and have faith. So you want to listen, you want to hear, and when God tells it to you, then you say, okay, God, you're calling me to do this. I'm scared. 
I'm afraid. I don't see how. My family's not going to understand. My friends are not going to understand. My health looks like it's feeble. I'm not sure financially that I can do this. But God, if you're calling me to do this, I'm not going to act on faith. I mean, I'm not going to act on sight. I'm going to act in faith instead to what it is that you're calling me to do. And then the last thing you've got to do is you've got to obey. A lot of times, man, people come into church all the time and get convicted about stuff, get moved, get emotional, this, that, or the other. And, and, and during this time, they've heard from God, they understand by faith what it is God wants them to do, but it's a whole other thing to start making the changes. That's why I'm not counseling anymore. I've got a, a branded counsels. I got a master's degree in counseling, did that for about three years, and I'm like, ah, I'm not good with this. Uh, people were just like, I'm not patient. Come on, this isn't that complicated. And sometimes it was, I know. The problem was me. But I'm like, gee whiz. You know, I wanted it to be like the, if some of you folks remember the old Bob Newhart show. You know, he had like four people he counseled, and they were all buddies, and that was good. Um, but, it's a whole, but, but a lot of times the difficult thing in counseling is people know what they need to do, but they just want to sit there. It's easier to sit in, in, in dysfunction than to change. It's a big step to change, and God is calling us to obey. In Joshua 15, 14, and 15, he says, From Hebron, Caleb drove out the three Anakonites. Shishma, ever how you say their names. From there, he marched against the people living in Debir. Okay? He acted. At 85 years of age, let's charge up the hill. Let's take on these giants. I'm trusting God. And he took the land. And we remember Caleb's name to this day. Because he acted in faith and he trusted God. 1 Samuel 16, 7 is a great verse. Because a lot of times we look at ourselves and our abilities and all our inadequacies. And it says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider when they were picking a king, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The, door, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God's looking for a heart that has faith and has trust in him. And if you do, God will raise you up and accomplish unbelievable things in your life. At 20 and at 80, he will accomplish great things in your life. So here's the challenge for us at invitation time, okay? Always at invitation time. The first thing God wants us to do is have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if anybody here does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I put it off, stupid, put it off till I was 22, in church my whole life, but kind of wanted to do my things the, my own way, and then finally just came to terms, you know, I think I want the peace, the joy, the comfort that only can come from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And at 22, acknowledged my sinfulness, got on my knees, repented, and accepted what Christ had done on my behalf. And if you've never done that, man, accept Christ's gift of salvation. The joy, the peace, the purpose, knowing that you don't have to go through life by yourself, but you've got a God who will never leave you nor forsake you, and all his riches and abilities are available to you except that gift. Obviously, God wants us to have a church home, a church family. That's an important thing. To be on mission, on board with brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ is an important thing. God wants us to publicly identify with him the way he did it in you know, in Scripture, is, is baptism. Why? I don't know, but that's what he chose. That word, the word baptize means identify. And so it is a way that we publicly identify with Jesus Christ. If you've got a problem with that, just be thankful it's not circumcision anymore, okay? But publicly identify with Jesus Christ. But here's the last thing. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've got a church home, whether it's here or somewhere else, what I want to challenge every person here to do is make it a commitment. Tomorrow's Labor Day. 
Okay, on Labor Day, we celebrate by not doing labor. But tomorrow on Labor Day, take some time and listen. Take some time and say, God, what are you trying to speak to me? What are you trying to tell me? How do you want to use me? Don't just be another year of going through the motions, of playing golf, of hunting, uh, of going to class, and you just one day at. Say, I want to make an impact for Jesus Christ. Use me to influence and change my friends, my family, my setting. Get me ready and prepared for what's next. Father, remove fear from my life. Listen to what it is that God has in store for you. And then make a commitment that when he tells you by faith, you're going to trust in what he's saying. Because when he tells you stuff, sometimes it's real easy to start throwing up. I'll get to this later, the doubts. No, say, God, I'm going to listen to you and what it is you're telling me and calling me to do, and I'm going to act on it. Starting with whatever that first step that he tells you to do tomorrow. Whatever that first thing, maybe it's a phone call, maybe it's time in prayer, maybe it's picking up your Bible, maybe it's writing something out, you know, an action plan. Maybe it's making a relationship right. Maybe it's telling somebody that you appreciate them, you love them, that you haven't. Letting something go that you need to let go. But whatever it is that he's calling you to do, be willing to take that first step towards that. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we praise you. Father, thank you so much that when we were sinners, and Father, we were separated from you, and we were in a hopeless and a helpless situation that we could do absolutely nothing about, Father, that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to be the perfect sacrifice for us, to take care of our sin problem, to make it possible for us to have a relationship with you that can never be severed. Father, thank you that we have victory over sin and over the grave and over death, and we get to live with you forever. Father, thank you for that. And our prayer, if someone doesn't have that gift today, that they won't minimalize it or put it off, but today they would receive that gift of salvation. Now, Father, help every one of us to understand when we come into your family, you've got a purpose and a plan for your life. And it doesn't stop at 30 or 40 or 60 or 80. It stops when you take us home to be with you. Father, help us to be open to what that purpose is. Father, to start preparing for that purpose at a young age. We'll be committed to that. And Father, we'll accomplish the purpose you have for us at 20. We'll accomplish the purpose you have for us at 21 and 51 and 71 and 91. But Father, it all starts by listening. Father, help us to hear your still, small, quiet voice. And when you speak, Father, help us to trust. And Father, help us to obey. And Father, let it begin at this time of invitation that we'll listen to what you're telling us to do. And Father, we'll respond in trust and obedience. In your holy name we pray. Amen. If you would at this time of invitation, Reg will be leading us. You stand, you respond, however how God leads. Thank you.